All right, appreciate that tonight. Let's see where we want to be at tonight. Tell you what I want to do. I'd like for you to go to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. And uh, kind of running in two different directions tonight, just to be honest with you. I'm still uh, have my heart in the last days uh, as far as where we need to be in our study. Just not 100% sure the direction uh, that the Lord's going to have us go. I'm still hung up in a passage of Scripture. Prayed a great deal uh, about it today, trying to determine what the Lord would have us to do. And I think that we're on the right track tonight, but we'll just see, all right? If, we, if we're not, we'll switch gears and jerk her to the other direction. How's that? Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter number 19. <clears throat> all right, Revelation chapter number 19. And uh, we're going to look starting in uh, verse number 7. And uh, we're going to read probably down to verse number 16. All right. Revelation chapter number 19, starting in verse number 7, realizing that we are dealing with the last days. Uh, We've been going through our statement of faith every Wednesday night, uh, just highlighting and, and looking at why we believe what we believe concerning our statement of faith Uh, as a church, all right? So Revelation 19, verse number seven says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of God. Now we understand that we're saved by grace through faith. We were dealing with this on Sunday in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter number 15 and verse number 10 concerning the grace of God. And we were talking about how Paul was indeed saved by grace. He was what he was by the grace of God. And because of the grace of God that was extended to his life, he was able to utilize the grace of God day by day to do and endeavor to do what it was that the Lord wanted out of his life. We understand that he made it known that the things that he was doing as he labored more than all really wasn't him, but it was the grace of God. And so we are nothing, and because of that, we were able to accept him who is everything. And because we're saved by the grace of God, realizing that we have what we have being nothing, we know that we're not capable of anything, but anything good that is done with this rotten flesh has to be because of the grace of God. The grace of God that saved us is the grace of God that allows us to accomplish anything for him. But the Bible said, unto her was granted, that means allowed, okay? And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And now we know that we're looking here at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We understand that uh, this is indeed the church that we're talking about in Revelation chapter number 19. We have already expressed that and looked into that uh, in Wednesday nights going by. But the Bible says in verse 9, And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are blessed. Amen. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, 
for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. We'll stop right there. I believe the Lord uh, would, would uh, give us clear direction tonight on what he'd have us to do at this time. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you as you have uh, dealt with me in these passages of scripture. And Lord, as I have been unsure which direction that you would have me to go uh, tonight, I'm gonna trust, Lord, that you know what we need and what we uh, are in need of. And, and I pray, God, that you'd help us, Lord, as we try to rightly divide the word of truth tonight. I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear what thus saith the Lord. I pray, God, that uh, you would uh, you would help us as a local assembly, Father, to to be more today than we were yesterday, but yet, Lord, to endeavor to be more tomorrow than we are today. We'll thank you, praise you, give you glory and honor for it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Uh, to be honest with you, what I wanted to deal with uh, was was this matter of knowing him and him uh, knowing us, all right? And and I don't know that that's the direction that I will wind up. We may end up there uh, before the night is out, but I, I want to look at verse number 11 for just a second, uh, and hopefully next Wednesday night we will continue on where we left off verses 7 through 10 on the, the last Wednesday night that we preached on this. We were dealing primarily with the marriage of the Lamb. The time place, uh, the time placement of that, what that entailed, we looked at the days of Noah uh, and understood that they would be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage uh, and neglecting to hear what, uh, what God had to say through Noah. And then we see here uh, at the marriage supper of the Lamb that we will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Uh, and they, those that are going through the tribulation period, would uh, that they not have to do that and go through what the, 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 the suffering that they're going to have to suffer. But we will be busy uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, as we continue on here, I want to look at this matter in verse number 11. And we'll pick back up on the ending of this marriage ceremony uh, and what that encompasses next Wednesday night, Lord being our helper. Uh, but I want to look at verse number 11 in light of what we were dealing with on Sunday night. And I, I have thought about that a great deal this week. The Lord has continued to work in my heart. And to be honest, I said, Lord, how in the world am I going to deal with the last days and deal with scripture that we dealt with last night concerning, or last Sunday night, concerning horses, mules, and wild asses? And, uh, and he said, just read your Bible and study and I'll help you. I said, okay, you're going to have to because I sure don't know the direction that you're going here. But we, 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 uh, we know as independent Baptists that in years gone by and even sometimes today, maybe not as prevalent in the independent Baptist church, but as we stand on certain things, you'll hear that statement that a lot of old timers will use about that white horse doctrine. People get all so twisted up when you start talking about the white horse, you know, and they don't want to hear nothing about the white horse. And and uh, all this is symbolic, and that is symbolic. And, and we've been talking about how uh, in the Word of God, when you encompass the whole Scripture, when you take the front cover to back cover, look at the big picture, we find that there's some things that, that uh, wind up being, uh, if you will, uh, at the end of it all, um, in regards to it kind of contrast what was in the beginning. We talked about how in First Samuel... Um, or how that Samuel uh, was discussing the fact that, uh, and we even find it here in the book of Revelation, uh, how God did not want the children of Israel to have a king. 
He wanted them to have judges. God was ruling over the nation of Israel. And we understand that, as, as Brother Isaac has mentioned in his Sunday school class, I keep going back to that, but it, the Lord just began to work in my heart about that scripture. And I've read it over and over and over again, and I've read it many times before. But we see that God was, was removed in the hearts of men from the place that he should have been. And as a result of that, man was put in a place that God should have been. And then we find at the end of this, uh, in the end of the, the scriptures here, towards the, the end, if you will, of time in these last days, that Jesus, God, Jesus was, is God in the flesh, right? Was, was set and placed over uh, on the throne of David uh, at the city of Jerusalem to rule and reign for a thousand years. What happens? The final say is what the Lord says, right? We see a rejection of God. We want a man. Jesus Christ is God in the form of man who will rule and reign literally. See, why? See that it's said that this can't be literal. It's symbolic. Jesus won't literally do this. Oh, he literally will. Amen. He literally will because they literally rejected God and wanted a man. And they're literally going to get God in the form of a man and they're going to, he is going to rule and reign as king. Not just a king, but king of kings. Ultimate authority. He said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. What's that emphasizing? He was in the beginning, he'll be in the end, and he will forevermore be, right? And so we see, we see the earth, we see the heavens, we see the new heavens and the new earth. Do you see that, that God has the final say in, in everything? And when we look at the scripture as a whole, we see that. But I began to think about what Jesus was going to do. We talk about this Davidic covenant, and we see that uh, Jesus, uh, go with me to Luke, if you will. Chapter number two, I think is where I want to be. Luke chapter number two. And I know that uh, we read this verse of scripture last Wednesday, but I want to see if I can find what I'm looking for here. <clears throat> All right, so we see in chapter number two, uh, verse number seven, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now we know that it was, it was told to Mary that she was going to have a son and that when she had this son, this son uh, was going to, to, to sit on the throne of who? Of David. Now, he did not accomplish that in his first coming. But he was going to accomplish that and is going to accomplish that in the second coming, right? So now, is it not interesting? We look at the lineage of Jesus and the lineage of Jesus goes back to that of David. And he's going to rule and reign on the throne of David. All right, now what's interesting is we find that David sinned and committed an act, even though that David uh, was a man after God's own heart, he done something that caused his lineage to have some suffering. Now, if you look at the if you look at the line of David, David was a king. But when you get down to where Jesus is at, you're not finding people on the throne anymore. All right. So here's what happens: the the notoriety begins to wane. 
And by the time Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords shows up, he's not seen as a king. He's not even looked at concerning his lineage. But we know that he's going to be looked at concerning his lineage. But see, here's what's interesting. Go, go with me to, um, let me see if I can pull this verse of scripture up real quick. Go with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter number 1. 1 Kings chapter number 1. We're just going to stay in study gear tonight. It'll be all right. 1 Kings chapter number 1 and verse number uh, 33. All right, here. Bible says, The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon, my son, to ride upon my, mine own mule, and bring him down to Gahan. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there king over Israel. And blow ye with a trumpet and say, God, save King Solomon. It was in David's heart that King Solomon rule and reign in David's stead. In David's absence, Solomon was going to take the kingship in place of David, right? No one rode the king's equine. The fact that we're seeing a symbol here, all right? Symbolically, we're saying, David says, not only is this my son, not only do I want him to be king, put him on my animal. Put him on my animal because my animal is representing something. It's mine. I'm the king. I ride that mule. Nobody rides that mule but me. So here's what I'm saying to you. When someone's seen Solomon on King David's mule, when King David would have rode that mule, Something was symbolic unto the people as they watched him ride that animal. Then David says, we're going to let it be known here in verse number 34. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel and blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Now when Jesus comes back, what's going to happen? We're going to hear the sound, right? We're going to hear it happen, right? Now, now, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. When Jesus comes back, we're going to know, or the world's going to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords have, has come on the scene, right? All right, so here's what I want you to see. Not only do we see the trumpet being blown, not only do we see David wanting uh, King Solomon to be known as the king, to anoint him their king over Israel, to blow the trumpet, and for the people to say, or for, for Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet, anoint him their king over Israel, and blow ye with the trumpet, and say. They, he wanted the priest and he wanted Nathan the prophet to say, God save King Solomon. But it's, it's being seen happening in relation to him riding on the mule. That belonged to King David. King David said, I'm stepping aside here with my mule. You get on it. The priest, Nathan the prophet, you anoint him, you say, this is King Solomon. All right, so, and I have never really paid any attention to that, but I've been looking at horses, mules, and donkeys, and I find that the king had a specific animal that he rode, 
And then I find that he wanted his son on his animal. And then he wanted it to be known that he was going to be king. Why is that important? Well, because we find Jesus is going to ride on an animal. A specific animal, but it isn't a mule. Now Jesus rode two animals. We see that Jesus, when he was riding into Jerusalem, before he was crucified, he, he rode on an ass. The colt of an ass. A young donkey. Now, what's interesting is, if you'll go to 1 Samuel chapter number 8 with me real quick. We're finding here that Israel is now rejecting God and demanding a king. Okay? And I'm wanting to define something here for you if the Lord would help me. The Bible says in verse number 7, And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So right here we see the rejection. God takes it personally what Israel has done. Okay? It says, According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that ask of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots, and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his Chariots. Now, I want you to understand something here. The, the donkey symbolizes something. Now, the king is fixing to have whatever he needs at his disposal. Samuel is letting Israel know you want this, but you don't realize that it's going to cost you something. The king is going to have what the king needs. And the king's going to have your sons and your daughters and your things to get what he needs to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. The king is, a high, is, is, is in a status of hierarchy. And all the things that you're desiring is going to come at a cost, and it's going to cost your sons, it's going to cost your daughters, and it's going to cost you, ultimately, to have what you want. Now, it always does cost you to have what you want. We do know that, all right? But what's interesting is, is he's wanting some horsemen. Now, a donkey does field work. If you look in the scripture, the peasants have the donkeys. Now, we, we, we understand here, and I don't know if I marked that or not, but the Bible says here, um, verse 16, and he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. Now, the army's going to have the horses. The chariots are going to be hooked to the horses. The majestic uh, part of the, of, the, of the kingdom is going to be the horses and the, the working and the field work and the young men that's going to labor will have the asses. He says he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. Notice it's the maid servants, the men servants and the asses. You see the classification here? See, he's going to have some men that, that are with him, uh, if you will, to symbolize the majestic uh, throne. But then you're going to have some people that's going to have to get down to work. Yeah. 
And the people that get down to work are going to be men servants and maid servants and you're going to need some asses to help you do the work. And so when we look at, at the, the word of God, the Bible talks about being unequally yoked in the Old Testament and we find that you don't yoke an ox and an ass, right? Because they, they, they're not equal. But you do find that you yoke an ass. An ass will work in the yoke and will pull and will labor. All right? And so here's what I'm getting at. This is what I'm trying to get to. We're going to find here that that Solomon is riding on the mule of David. But we learned in Genesis chapter number 36 and 24 that this matter of, of mating a horse to a donkey wasn't, wasn't, wasn't right. We, we can look at Deuteronomy chapter number 22, verses 9 and 11, and see how that the, the, the vineyards, the Bible says, Thou shalt uh, not sow thy vineyards with diverse seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard be defiled. Now you're going to find that when hybrid mixes show up, the ability to reproduce wanes. That happens also in seeds. And ha- Listen, have you ever went to the store to buy a watermelon? And you really didn't feel like picking the seeds out of the watermelon. So you bought a seedless watermelon. Do you know how that happens? Through hybrid crossbreeding. If you want a watermelon that don't have any seeds, you have to breed to not have no seeds. And so it's the same way. Now here's the thing. Man sinned. Because man sinned, man was going to work by the sweat of his face. He was going to till the ground. Thorns and briars were going to come up. And man had to work. And man had to plant. And God's saying, if you want to have something that's going to last you down through the ages, because you understand that you, 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 you put a crop in the ground by planting seeds, and when it yields the fruit, you take the seeds of that fruit, and you salvage that, and then next year you plant those seeds. Now, if you don't plant, you will not have, you will not have anything to, no fruit, right? But if you don't plant and save seed, you won't have any fruit. But if you don't plant appropriately, you can cause hybrid crossbreeding and wind up in a situation where you don't have anything to plant at all for the next year. Through a, and it won't happen all at once. doesn't happen all at once. But it'll happen year by year until eventually you don't have anything left. It's a degradation. It's a decline. It's a, it's a, it's, it happens fraction by fraction until essentially you're down to just a handful. We find that even today on the heirloom market. Now today, if you want heirloom seed to where you can plant you a garden and be able to save the seed from those plants to replant next year, you have to have the right kind of seed. You cannot go to the co-op, buy a regular packet of seed uh, of peaches and cream and plant that in your garden and then when that, and it'll be good, it'll taste good, but when you pull the ear off the, the, the stalk and you put that corn cob up somewhere and you wait next year to replant it, what happens is, is you'll plant that seed that's dried out and died and plant it in the ground and there'll be a stalk that comes up out of the ground, Brother Shane, but there won't be any ears of corn on it. You'll have growth, you'll have a plant, but you will not have any fruit. And so what are are you saying here? Well, what I'm saying is here, we find that Jesus Christ is going to sit on the throne of David. Through the Davidic covenant, Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David. Not just the throne, 
but the throne of David. The Bible emphasizes it more than once that Jesus will sit on the throne of David, literally. But I tell you what he don't do. He don't come back on a mule. That's right. Amen. Jesus rode two types of animals. He rode a donkey when he was representing that of a humble servant. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. And we find that that form of a servant, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, yielded himself and he rode that donkey. He could, listen, he didn't say, hey, go get me that good looking thoroughbred tied up down there. He said, go down there, there'll be a, an ass tied up and that ass will have a coat and I need that coat. And he was gonna ride through Jerusalem, into Jerusalem on that coat. Now, what's that mean? He wore a crown of thorns. He, he was beaten. He was brutally abused. And he rode a donkey. That was at his first coming. At his second coming, he comes back on a white horse. He comes back wearing a crown. And nobody beats him at anything. But he beats everyone that stands in his way. And so what are you saying today? I'm saying, do you not see a picture in the scripture about how always where it seemed like God was, was, was down and, and, and Jesus really, you know, they treated him unfairly. Why didn't he do better? Why didn't he do more? He laid down his life freely. No man took his life. He give it. How do we know that he give it? He would not prove to the world that he give it. Now we believe it by faith. But he's gonna prove to the world that he give it freely because he's gonna come back the second time and he ain't gonna give them nothing. He's gonna take what's rightfully his. He's gonna assume the position, assume the role, assume the throne of David. So he, he comes in and he sits on the throne of David, but he don't ride in riding in like David did. Now what was, what was it that King Solomon done? We see the lineage of David. What David was, a man after God's own heart. You see that, that Saul, Saul being that first king failed terribly. So what happens is, is God, we find that Samuel anoints King David as king over Israel. David, even having the heart that he had for God, a man that had, had, had just had the, had, I mean, he was God's man. A man after God's own heart still failed. In his failure, we understood that the sword would never depart from David's lineage. So here's what happens. Now, Jesus, when he comes back, he comes back and devours with a sword. You understand that? So what happens is, is, is Solomon is next in line, and we find that Solomon rides the mule. This is a beautiful picture because all of David's glory and all of Solomon's glory, he was none wiser than, than Solomon. I mean, David, man after God's own heart, Solomon, none wiser than Solomon, and here they are just riding on a mule. An animal that was a hybrid that should have, by the law, not even been born. Yet somehow this man after God's own heart has brought in this animal that according to the law should not have been born because we don't mix seed. We don't hybrid crossbreed, right? And so what happens is we see that Solomon is arrayed in all of his glory riding on a mule. 
But Jesus, when he rides out as a peasant, he rides on a donkey. But when he comes back, King of kings and Lord of lords, he don't come back on David's mule. He'll sit on David's throne, but he won't sit on David's mule. Why? Because he's King of kings and Lord of lords. He is elevated higher than that of King David. He come from the lineage of David, but he is more than David ever could have been or ever thought about or ever even could have pondered on being. With David being a man after God's own heart and Solomon being wiser than none other, they still just rode around on a mule. But Jesus comes back on a hot horse. Don't tell me tonight that this is symbolic and not really, it is symbolic. Oh, it symbolizes something, but it's literally going to happen And because it's literally going to happen, it's symbolizing something. But it's not symbolic as in in it's not really going to happen, it just stands for something else. No, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. David put Solomon on his mule. Jesus come back on a white horse. Forget the mules. See, see, here's the thing. People want to talk about how this separating yourself, ah, that's the law. Being separate is the law. Those things don't matter. Well, it's in the New Testament too. But, but even as the end of it all, Jesus still has a heart for purity. A purity. And things stand for something. You know, it's black and white with God. It's not gray. Now, I do appreciate progressive sanctification. And I do appreciate that God understands that, that he looks at the motivation of our heart. If he did not look at the motivation of our heart, we'd all be headed to hell. So God takes that into consideration. But I'll tell you what God cannot stand. He cannot stand for Shane Bullock to have it black and white in the scripture, to see it as it really is and come to the knowledge of the truth, yet reject it in the name of compromise. Because when you do that, God gets sick to his stomach. All right, so here's, here's what I'm, here's what, I don't know what I'm trying to say tonight, okay? I'm just everywhere. What I'm getting at is though, is, is when we consider uh, this matter of, of the white horse. Let me go back here to Revelation chapter number 19. The Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. So he comes back in his righteousness, and he comes back riding the white horse. Now, was David righteous? In all that David was, David still failed. David is the one, behold, I was shaping in iniquity, in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. At David's best day, he was still a failure. On David's best day, he was still a sinner. But on Jesus' worst day, he was still God. You, you understand what I'm saying? And so he don't have to ride on the mule. That mule symbolizes something. See, the donkey, this is what I love, the donkey symbolizes something. It symbolizes that of a peasant, that of a humble servant. The horse symbolizes Jesus being king of kings and Lord Lords, because that's what a king would, would ride. But somehow along the way, something got messed up, and David, being a man after God's own heart, rode around on a mule. And then put his son on a mule. See, this is what's interesting. He was elevating his son before the people and says, look at my son, he's the king. But what we see in his, in his willingness to elevate his son in a king, he was still showing the, the, the humanality of his son by what his son was riding on. Now, it's interesting because he's showing Israel his son and showing him as a king. 
a man that was wiser than all the, the rest that could, would ever be. But what is it that this man does? What was the downfall of Solomon? Think about that with me, if you will, for just a second. What was the downfall of Solomon? Go with me to 1 Kings chapter number 11 for just a moment. First Kings chapter number 11. Let's read verse 1. But King Solomon loved many women. Well, I think I missed a word there. Strange women. What happened when the donkey lost its purity? It got with a strange animal. The donkey bred with a horse and out popped a mule. Now let me say this, was that a natural occurrence? <laughs> it was natural. The mule symbolizes sin. The mule symbolizes that of a hybrid cross, impurity. Can I say to you, impurity is natural. You're born naturally a sinner. That mule was what it was because of its mama and its daddy. And Jesus never rode on a mule. Jesus was either humble or he comes back with authority. But he wasn't mixed up in between. All right? But we see that our earthly king, what man wanted, rides around on a mule, something that symbolizes impurity and sin. And then we find here that the Bible says, but King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go in to them. Why? We're looking at purity here. You know what was Solomon's downfall? This was a man that was wiser than all the rest. If anybody knew better than to do this, it was Solomon. But you know what got him in trouble? His flesh, what he wanted, his desires. You know how come mules wind up on the face of the earth? Because that donkey was following his natural desire. And that horse was following its natural desire. And because these two uh, beings followed their natural desire, something was born that was considered by symbolism impure. All right? And so the Bible says here, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. David was setting him up on his mule saying, here's my son, it's going to be your king. But because of David's actions, we find it channeling on down through generations to come. By the time we get to Jesus, we don't even see a throne anymore. But you know what resurrects the throne in the minds of human beings that David let go by the wayside? Jesus. Jesus set the lineage of David. Only Jesus 
could put the lineage of David back on the throne. David didn't have the ability to keep his lineage on the throne because of sin. Because sin ruined David's uh, lineage, if you will, from being able to assume the throne. Jesus put back into place what David could not. And you and I today are priests, the royal priesthood, a holy nation. And I understand when we look at the nation of Israel and we talk about the church, we're not talking about the same thing. But I am royalty today because I've been born into the family of God. I am what I am, like Paul said, by the grace of God. When we look at Revelation chapter number 19, and the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter number 19, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Do you know why I come back royalty? Listen, you may not like this because I don't claim the church to be in the same light as Israel, but I'm in the lineage of David. How? Because I'm related to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. We understand that the Lord Jesus Christ is the husbandman and the church is the bride. And through that relationship is children born into the family of God. And so how are we royalty today? We're royalty because of the church's relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to say this, what David couldn't do in his flesh, Jesus Christ done in the flesh as the Son of God. And he won't ride a mule, but there's a reason why that white horse tonight isn't symbolic, but he's literally going to ride upon a white horse. And we are going to ride back with him on white horses, arrayed in white linen because of the relationship that we have with him. I want to say this, it doesn't matter your status, it doesn't matter your wealth, and it doesn't matter what people say about you or what you say about you or what you try to promote of yourself. David promoted Solomon and Solomon failed even knowing, even knowing what no man understood in the fashion in which he understood it. But he still failed. I'm going to say this, we're failures today. You're a failure, and I'm a failure, and I'm nothing. If somebody set me and Marvin and Shane and whoever else on some kind of, some, some kind of high plane, we'd still be failures. Amen. No matter how you elevate a man to a status, he's still nothing but a failure. David was a man after God's own heart, but even when we look at this horse and this donkey and this mule, we don't find that God set Solomon up on no horse. He rode a mule. Now, I'm sure they were proud of it. They probably imported them, to be honest with you. And I ain't got time to get into all that and what brought me to that mindset. And I wouldn't preach you that. I'm just studying on that a little bit. But my point is this. They were probably proud of that mule. David was proud of his son. David was proud of his mule. But we understand this. Pride comes before a fall. And we see failure. Why? Because it was never God's design for Israel to have a king, but for always for God to be their final authority. And they got what they wanted and it failed just like the Lord knew it would. And just because the Lord gave it to them didn't mean that it was in his design. And sometimes today, just because the Lord allows us to do certain things doesn't mean it's by his design. It's by his mercy and his grace that he don't take us out for being stupid and against the will of God. But I'll say this, we find that Jesus wrongs a right 
and literally sets up something in the millennial reign that corrects what we find in 1 Samuel chapter number 8. And that is why tonight, and I'm done, that is why Jesus comes back on a white horse and he literally sits on the throne of David. He will sit on the throne of David, but he will not sit on David's mule. And the reason being is because what man could not do, it took God in the flesh to correct. And even with what Israel failed to do, it's still going to take God in the flesh to correct it. God the Father is given Jesus Christ the Son, that one that was spit upon, beaten, and abused. He's given him another opportunity to come back and show the world that what they thought they'd done to Jesus and made him go through was honestly a free gift to all of mankind that has been squandered because mankind would not believe on the name, which is above every name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will not come back as a peasant or a humble servant. He will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords, and he'll sit on the throne of David, but he won't ride in the saddle that David rode in. All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for loving us. We thank you tonight for this, uh, this, this doctrine, this truth, Lord, of separation. Knowing that uh, today as the church that we are uh, not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But the works that we have as born again believers, we have by your grace. And I pray, Lord, that we would go into this lost and dying world this week reminded, Father, of what you have done for us. Knowing, Lord, that uh, we are saved and, and that we have the Spirit of God that dwells within us. And it's the Spirit of God dwelling within us that bestows upon us the grace day by day to fulfill the things that you want us to fulfill as your people. I'm thankful that as we encompass and look at the nation of Israel and we see, Lord, what it is that uh, is actually going on here, that we're reminded that man in his best day isn't good enough. No matter the status, no matter the hierarchy, no matter the wealth, mankind is nothing more than a failure. Paul understood that he was nothing but a failure. He was what he was by the grace of God, and we are as the church what we are today by the grace of God. And when we, when we wear those white and fine linen, and when we ride on that white horse coming back, uh, following you, Lord, to Jerusalem where you will rule and reign, we will be there because of the grace of God. Lord, what one king failed to do, the king of kings and the Lord of lords set right, Lord, I'm thankful that although you deserve to ride on a white horse, Lord, you rode on that donkey as a humble servant into Jerusalem. You allowed them to plait a crown of thorns and place it upon your head to brutally abuse you and beat you that the shedding of blood would bring remission of sin. Lord, I'm thankful that you give of your life freely, that no man took it, but you've seen what I was, what I could be, and what I will be because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would tonight, Lord, that people would see what they are, what they can be, and what they will be if they accept you as their personal Lord and Savior, knowing that you will have the final say. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not a humble servant, not a peasant, but Lord. And Lord, I thank you, knowing now, Father, what you've done for me and what I was worth. I'm thankful to know that I will get to ride back with you, Father, be royalty because of what you have given me through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for what we have in this relationship. 
And I pray, Lord, that having taught on this tonight, that as we move back into uh, service next Wednesday night, that we can uh, maybe expound and further on the scriptures, Lord, and express to the church what it really is to know you in the free pardon of sin. Lord, we, we know you, but we've yet to see, we've yet to see what it'll be like, Lord, uh, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. When we are with you for all eternity, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.